Hey there, PDX Real Estate Podcast listeners. Before we get into today's show, I've got a real quick announcement for you, and that is that my company, TTM, is still looking to buy fixers and teardowns all over the Portland metro area, even in this post-corona economy that we have going on right now. So if you have anything that comes across your desk that may not fit the retail market, we'd love to hear from you. All you got to do is go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. There's a contact us tab, fill out the information, submit it to us, and we'll give you a call. Or if you'd like to, just call us at the office, 503-224-6200, and we'd love to chat with you about the property. Now, let's get into the show. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody, welcome. This is episode 117 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're going to cut the chit chat out on the front end of uh, what we've been normally doing the last few weeks. We're getting better at this, guys. Uh, you know, real estate guys <laughs> doing tech stuff. But hey, I want to welcome all of our uh, listeners, those of you guys and masters that are watching live. Welcome. And of course, uh, to my co-hosts, Steve and Joe. How are we? How's it going, Tucker? Hey, howdy doody. Happy Friday. I'm good. I'm we've good. Got, I'm good. We've got a big show today. Probably one of our more popular guests, I'm just going to go ahead and say. Uh, he's got quite the following online. I even creeped on some of his videos last night just to kind of get a feel for what he's all about. And I got to say, they're pretty, pretty good. So, Joe, you know him better than the rest of us. So why don't you give him a good intro here before we bring him on and start chatting? Well, if I gave him a good intro, that would take up an entire hour. So I'll give you highlights. Uh, starting from the youngest uh, part, uh, so... If you don't know Eric, then congratulations for waking up out of your 15-year coma. Uh, but some of the things he's done is, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a proud Marine. He's a triathlete, uh, really into fitness, climbed Kilimanjaro. Uh, and then before real estate for 18 months, he was an erotic dancer. And that was just a short <laughs> stint. Uh, then he became... Then he became a, a realtor and uh, went on to own a real estate company, a mortgage company, uh, and then uh, sold it. And now he's uh, doing great things with a, a healthy restaurant called Jewel. And uh, uh, he's also a speaker. And I don't know if it's self-proclaimed, but I would say motivational speaker because you can't listen to him and not have some tangible motivational takeaway so that's those are the bullet points but eric thanks for coming on we sure appreciate having you here you guys are so awesome now let's do this i love this let's go you know there was one video joe i watched the uh i think it was the most recent one it was the 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 get down and cry with me or give me your give me an f in hand right up that's a good video thanks man thanks no, i just you know as i'm just looking around and i get random messages from people it's like okay who do you want to be for somebody so I said a quick thought and, and honestly, if I'm just you're like, there's nothing I post that I'm not giving myself the same advice. <laughs> so in that moment, I, leave, I need a little bit of a self pep talk. I was like, all right, how, how should I talk to myself right now? I can either grovel with myself or I can get my ass going. And I was like, I'll get my ass going. So I just shot the video. So 
Yeah, I will say, Eric, you are a very talented social media giant. Um, you have a, a a very loyal, large following. I'm I'm assuming you have over you have five thousand friends, right, on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And and Joe, you do too, right? Yeah, but I don't know any of them. <laughs> no. Yeah, I do. Um, I do. I have five thousand. I, and I'm asking as a guy, I think I'm around 3,500 or something. What is it? What, what is that? work on that, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? I know I'm, 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 I'm paling here. What is it like when you hit 5,000? Like when you meet a new legitimate person, do you just have to go and blindly delete somebody and go, okay, I'm friending you? I mean, and, and the public figure thing, like, is that an option? Come on, Eric. Talk, talk to us about yeah. your social media. Right, here's the deal. Like on Facebook, it's just one of those crazy things. I end up starting a public page about two and a half years ago, there's about like 75,000 people that follow me there. And it's like one of those things that just kind of like happens organically. The, the private Facebook page, you know, when you reach, when you max out on your friends list at about 5,000, they can just follow you. So if you look, I don't know, there's like 3,500 people that follow me or something on my private Facebook page. So the followers on your private Facebook page are unlimited, but your actual friend connections are limited to 5,000. And so that, what that means is they can see what you do, but you can't see what they're doing. Yeah, you might, yeah, they don't show up on your feed the same way, but you might show up on their feed depending on the interaction than the Facebook algorithm of the day. Okay, and, the, and what's the downside to flipping to a public figure account? Or did you just say you do have a public figure account? Yeah, no, I, I do, but I... I okay, say, yeah, yeah, they're independent of each other. Okay, totally and you, kept your, you kept your private one, got it. Correct, yeah. So the, the public figure celebrity status one, it's basically you do all the posting. I don't know that people can share anything onto your page. And I don't even, you can restrict comments too to make sure someone doesn't post anything bad. So that kind of kills the interaction. So you still need your personal Got account because that's the good stuff is the back and Got forth. It. But if you have a message to share, having the, the public, whatever celebrity page or whatever you call it is, is good to have too. Because yeah. um, you have something important that you want to share. You can share it without all the noise. And Joe, um, and by the way, Joe, you're a social media giant too. You guys are both in the same um, boat here. Um, so mine's a much uh, smaller you have boat. Bigger page? <laughs> no, I, uh, I have. He's just, got this group called Masters, Steve. I think that's kind of this thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just all I have is a business page um, called Portland Real Estate Coach, and okay. uh, I, I don't do much with it. I mean, five thousand is kind of tops out for me because I don't really have any other friends. Yeah, but so, Joe, I mean, that, like let me lock me, uh, leave space for the new people that come in. <laughs> do you ever meet somebody and you have to delete somebody to add them? Like. Yeah, I, I just did that. I had 5,000 and I had to delete 25 people that never posted anything. I'm not sure how we got connected. And I always try and, um, you know, keep it relevant and fresh and people who want to participate. I mean, this is, there isn't a strategy. It's just, look, if I'm a friend with somebody and they're never reach out or do anything, I, I, I want someone who would be willing to do so. Here's the good news. During COVID-19, the crazies come out in droves. So it's easy to figure out who to delete. <laughs> right? Right. I mean, we, I think we joked about this with Justin Harnish. Like, it's almost like, you know, springtime when the weeds start coming up and they were always there under the ground, but it's now that they're starting to be um, visible. 
um, that you can go, whoa, that guy's crazy. I didn't know who that was before, but yeah. <laughs> so I got a question. Um, so Eric, we'll let him talk instead of us blathering too much, right? Since we brought him on. But uh, so Joe knows more specifically, but right now then, are you an owner still in the real estate company? Are you involved in that at all? Or what is yeah, the status there? As an owner, so back in 2005 is when I started the first brokerage. It was a Windermere franchise at the time. And in 2010, just simply converted the brand to Better Homes and Gardens. And we ran that until the last couple of years. And then did a, a really awesome succession plan to two of my employees that were essentially running the business. And, um, you know, that was all part of the plan was to help, like, create something that was really cool and help somebody else that's really been a part of that all along own it. And you know, businesses like there's a life cycle to everything. There's there's a life cycle of the industry, life cycle of the business, life cycle of the owner, life cycle of the management, life cycle of the everything. So you always want to make sure those life cycles are always in line. And just my personal life cycle, where the industry and the brokerage was going, we're starting to get out of line. So in order to make good on the promises that I've made to everybody, you want to make sure that you stay those you know congruent. And so I made sure that we had a succession plan to make that happen. So. Gotcha. So you're you're kind of a serial entrepreneur, like the rest of us, really, is what it comes down to. A little bit, although it's weird because I always carried that burden. Honestly, I carried the burden of, of the label of entrepreneur until about 2011. And I was sitting actually in a, in a workshop. And you and me talked about this earlier, Joe, about I've done some, t some things with Tony Robbins. So I was, I was sitting there actually with Tony. We were talking about the business. And I was like, not the, the whole thing about an entrepreneur doesn't really make sense because there's parts about business I don't love and, and whatnot. And he goes, hey, can I cuss on here, by the way? Is that all right? Or is yeah. Do whatever okay. you want. Yeah. So he, he looks at me and he goes, you're not a fucking entrepreneur. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you're a creative. And he just used business to express your creativity through business. So like that, that little teeny distinction kind of like took all this weight off my shoulders. I was like, you know what? I don't have to be a great entrepreneur to have a great business, but you know, being creative is just a way to express, express what I, whatever I had in my mind, I use business to do that. So that was kind of a cool little shift just from not carrying the burden of like, Oh, I'm an entrepreneur and didn't feel right. Right. So, you know, I have a, I have a, a, a belief about that. And, and it's funny you say that. And I, I, I think of myself as being somewhat creative as well. And I, I think, you know, as we analyze technology and we analyze AI, artificial intelligence and all these things, one thing that I think humankind will always possess that nothing can copy is creativity, right? There'll be, you know, there'll be robots, there'll be technology in the future that can do so much of what we're doing, but the ability to actually take a new idea and then execute on it is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful um, com components of our existence. And I think it's, it's, it's awesome to see people do that. And I really appreciate that. So is it just for fun? Can I play devil's advocate for a minute? Sure. Yeah. There's AI already doing it. There's AI creating amazing artwork. There's AI creating incredible business, incredible poetry, incredible songs. Like there's, there's AI that's creating incredible creative things like entities um, you know, pro solutions to problems, massive problems. There's AI already doing all of that. So I think the value actually becomes where you add the humanity part to it, you know, and, and there might be a day when like you have a song that's written and it's an amazing, beautiful song, but it's written by AI has got a different cachet than it's written by Joe Fustula, you know? And so the idea that I'm, that I'm wearing a shirt handmade by, you know, Mary, you know, in Maine, would be worth more maybe than possibly, you know, made out of computer in Texas, right? So I, I just, I think that the creative part is actually already, that ship is already sailing. Like there's AI doing creative genius, way better than you and me can, faster uh, with less problems. 
but it doesn't have the human element to it that we cherish, that we value, mm -hmm. that, that we feel connected to. So mm -hmm. that part, that connection part, that human connection part of humanity will live on forever. I'm just not sure that we'll be able to do creativity better than AI. So mm -hmm. just play devil's advocate for that. Interesting, interesting approach. <clears throat> um, I got something, Eric. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've heard during the crash, you know, how it affected you uh, in, in just that day. Um, and maybe you could talk a little bit about that. And I'm not really making an analogy of now to the 2007, 2008, but what was that that you kind of went through? And then what do you think about where we are now? And uh, is there a tunnel that we're going to shoot out of or uh, just your thoughts on our current market? Yeah, there's a ton of similarities to the psychology of a crash, like any sort of impending, you know, bad news or impending recession or bubble bursting or whatever category you want to put it in. There's a, there's a, there's always a similar mindset, you know, psychology that's attached to those things, whether or not the dynamics or the fundamentals of the crash are the same, but the human psychology is the same, you know, worry and stress and unknown and unrest. Those are all still definitely in play. So there's a lot of things that I just learned out of 2008 that I'm directly applying now, even though the dynamics of the market are different, the, the mindset is the same and how you approach chaos is the same. So I actually put out the other day, I started writing down a bunch of things that I learned in 2008 because I did get decimated. Like I've been very public about this. There's nothing, there's nothing shameful about learning a fucking hard lesson, right? And there's nothing shameful about like getting knocked down and then finding a way to get back up well, financially, you know, spiritually, mentally, physically, all those sorts of things. And so, you know, part of that, part of that transition, I just helped help somebody else. So I've been kind of journaling these down. I made a post the other day about, Hey, if you want, if you want some thoughts and some lessons I learned, let me know. So I got to finish that today actually and get that out. Um, so I'll put that out there. If anybody wants that, email me or, or, or post here and I'll send it to you as well. But yeah, like, man, it was May 16th, 2008. Like there was literally a day that I remember yeah. that this is the day where everything changes. What no, happened? All our explosion yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it was one of those, like literally just kind of walked out. You remember early May was kind of going on or 2008. And I, I literally just walked out and I was going to have breakfast and, and I have a little uh, like eating bar in the kitchen and, and I sat down and my daughter was sitting next to me and, uh, I can't even tell the story without getting emotional, but like it, I just sat down and my, my daughter kind of looked over me. I didn't have a shirt on and she, she literally just poked me in the belly kind of thing. I gained a little bit of weight and, and that morning I had done all the math and I figured out I'd lost seven figures of, of net worth so far that year. And I was like kind of just having one of those mornings. But when my daughter pointed out one of my faults, right? When my daughter was like, oh, like she wasn't making fun of me or anything. She's like four years old, right? But it was, but it was, she's pointing out just something that I knew I wasn't the man that I thought I was. You know, and I was complaining about all the results I wasn't getting from the work I wasn't doing. And it was just that I wasn't being the man I should be. Right. And so it was literally that day where I changed everything. And I did start with my body. I knew that if I could find some discipline in my body, that that would translate into everything else. You know, if you if you find your physical being um, deteriorating, you lose energy, you lose self-confidence, you lose a focus, you lose mental clarity. Absolutely. Um, so I absolutely wanted to crush the physical side first. So I went on a 90 day, like literally 90 days of eating perf like perfectly, exercising perfectly. You know, I got on a program and, and it was just one of those things where I knew if I just, if I locked that down, then that mental shift would translate to everything else. And so that, but it was that day, May 16, 2008. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then how does that relate to, so we've, we've had some mental blocks now and we've had some uh, market crashes with the COVID and, 
Um, what do you think of our real estate market moving forward? And well, are there similarities or is this much more temporary? Well, the similarity comes in the fact that let's say 70 days ago, let's just go back to 70 days ago, there was a set of rules that we're operating on, both as a real estate agent, as a brokerage owner, as a mortgage broker, as a home buyer, as a home seller. There was just a set of dynamics that were in play. Today, it's a completely set of dynamics, but the problem is most people are still operating with the rules and the assumptions and the dynamics that they did even 30 days ago. And so one of the things I learned in 2008 was that the minute all that changes, you have to really ditch all of your previous biases, all of your ways of thinking. And, and when I sat there on May 16, 2008, I realized that all of my thinking, my current thinking, got me there today. All of my best thinking, all of my best exposures, all of my best got me to where it was. So if I didn't want to be there, I had to have completely new thinking. And so, but I, I literally took all of my cash, like literally almost every dollar that I had, and I invested it in education. And I, I literally just started traveling all over, attending seminars and webinars and reading books. And I read like 100 books that year. Uh, like it went to everything I could, spend all of my money because I knew that if I brought the, the, the old me to the new dynamics, I was going to have really shitty results. So I just had to completely change the way I was thinking and approaching business, approaching sales, uh, uh, approaching the way I thought about investing, approaching the way I thought about my clients and the business. So yeah, that, and that still is in play. Like we are operating right now completely different with a different set of rules than we were 60 days ago. So that, that's a lesson that I think that really needs to be, you know, talked that's, about. That's an amazing lesson because, so we've all, or if you've been in the business long enough, you've experienced a crash or two. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when you have a crash, it's like, okay, I'm going to focus I'm going to double down on everything I've been doing. I'm going to prospect. I'm going to do this, 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 and this, but the results don't come. And you're like, what's going on? I'm, I'm doing everything they told me to do diligently and, and there's nothing to show for it. And making that transition that it's a whole new mindset and a whole new paradigm of how the new business today is done is very valuable because there's a lot of people that said, well, I'm just going to work harder and longer and do more. I'm going to up my game 20% on everything I've been doing. And that doesn't quite work. Do you think this market with, with our new thinking and the new way we do business, what do you think our market's going to be like in three months or six months or the rest of the year? Are you talking like statistically or psychologically? Uh, both. All right. Let's well, start psychologically and then we'll go statistically because I think that's the psychological part of this is I think the bigger part right now. And we, we don't know stats yet. It's going to be kind of a lagging indicator, right? So exactly. That's the problem with real estate stats. It's always looking in the rearview mirror. So it's really tough. But, you know, the trends, the trends are, are, are important to look at. But psychologically, I mean, let's just look at the way you know people are approaching every part. I had this I had this conversation the other day uh, with, with my business partner in the, in the restaurant, actually. And, and I was like, you know what, Matt? I, when I grew up with my grandma, and like the sweetest, kindest lady ever. And she watched us as a, as a kid. She, you know, was on the tail end of the Great Depression, right? Well, for the rest of her life, she reused paper plates. They reused napkins. And I have grandparents plates. like that. Yeah, I had yeah. grandparents like that, I should say. Yeah. So that was a consumer behavior that was changed almost indefinitely as a result of an experience they had, right? And so when we talk about this experience is a pretty dramatic experience for most people they are losing their businesses or just scared of touching people, right? Or, or proximity to people. There will be lasting lingering behavioral changes that come as a result of this. And there was so also changes to businesses as a result too. 
if you remember when we were young, you know, especially you, Joe, <laughs> but I mean, when we were young, do you remember grocery stores were really utilitarian? They, they had like, like, they had like concrete floors, nothing, no frills, no bells and whistles. It was all low priced stuff. They weren't trying to create an experience because that population that came out of the great depression wasn't looking for the experience. They weren't looking for the frills. They just, they were so conservative. They were so scared of, of money problems. They just wanted things cheap. And you saw that across businesses. Now, I think as, as we've aged and in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, that started to come back. All of a sudden, the grocery stores, you know, had beautiful, you know, things and frills and bells and whistles. And you had, you know, uh, you could get hot food and you can sit. It's almost like a restaurant. And and, and that goes across all, all businesses, but um, it'll be interesting to your point, Eric, to see if and what things change in those regards moving forward and, and what um, habits people make and what per purchase decisions they make and are willing to sacrifice. And it's about what they value. You yeah. Know, understanding what they actually value and what they're actually willing to pay for. And, um, you know, I, I, you go back to your, your question, Tucker, about like this, this, this psychology. I mean, I think in the short term, there's going to be a, definitely a pent up frustration to get out, to go do stuff, to go see things, to go experience things. There's going to be an early adopters and there's going to be some that like wait six months because they're scared and they'll wear a mask for two more years or, or that's just part of it. There's a standard curve, you know, early adapters, everybody else and the latecomers. We'll play in here. Look at you. Why you gotta wear a one though? Yeah, you're gonna hit, half the people are gonna hate that. You know. <laughs> oh, you saw the Oregon duck symbol on there? <laughs> it was anything that's related to Oregon has got a massive O on it. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, but no, the idea that, that that there will be this pent up demand. So the people that were have been thinking and like literally just cruising the internet, looking at all these houses like creating their dream list. People haven't had more time to think about the house they wanted to buy than right now, right? People haven't had more time to create a wish list and, and look at prices and drive neighborhoods, right? And, and, and evaluate all the dynamics and demographics of neighborhoods and things like that. So there will definitely be a pent up demand like, okay, we know what we want now, as long as they can get lending, as long as they have a job. I'm anticipating a little bit of like a, oof, like let's go do this now, we can do this, like we're released you know, into the wild and let's go do this. So I think agents should be prepared for that for sure. Not to mention more time to be frustrated with the current house they have, assuming that's the case. There will be people that like their current house and will, you know, work on it and improve it and be very happy with it. But there's going to be a whole segment that is just stuck in a house and all they're doing is documenting what they're frustrated with. Like, I wish this was bigger. I wish this was here. I wish I added this. I wish my yard had more yards. So that too plays very much into that as well. I agree. Yeah. 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 And so, so with that, that burst of energy that we're all going to have when the gates are lifted, uh, you think uh, our market on the, on the financial side, do you think our market's uh, going to thrive? Uh, you think it's going to bumble along? You, you think this is long lasting? What are your thoughts on our, the market pandemic from a, a financial point of view? I think a lot of that, honestly, uh, I hate to even give power to this, but it's true. It's something that we can't control, but we got to pay attention to. And it has a lot to do with what our political leaders decide to do. Um, and so, you know, if we look at the way things are being handled, like if they're going to close down the, you know, the hundred miles of streets in Portland and they're doing, you know, moving the homeless around and, and, you know, not letting, you know, investors who own a property evict, evict people. And, you know, there's, there's definitely things that we just can't control. And I'm, I'm not, 
crazy optimistic about our leadership here in Oregon, honestly. And so that, that does have me a little bit concerned about what's going to happen and, and what happens at the top jet, just there's no way it doesn't trickle down to the psychology of the banks, the lenders, you know, the, 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 even the building, like even building inspectors, like it just, it just impacts everybody. So I, I do have that concern a little bit. Yeah, there's no question. I, I've made it public. I don't particularly care for our leaders uh, at this point for various reasons, but I agree that that's a, uh, you know, I watched one of your videos actually, and it was like, we just, we don't have a say. We're kind of just like sitting here waiting for somebody to tell us what we can and can't do. Right. And I, I think that that is going to have a big impact and it is having a big impact on businesses. I, my biggest concern, I'm curious what you think, Eric, is I, I heard somebody say this and they basically said, look, every business has an expiration date. Right. And so the longer we go, the more businesses cross that expiration date of basically being able to restart successfully with new consumer behavior, like we talked about, right? That people go through an experience like this, it may change consumer behavior. And so I just, that's what worries me. I think that's what this hinges on the most in my mind is, is how long does it go and how many more expiration dates do we cross before we get back to trying to figure out life post this shutdown? And it's true. And, and I haven't mentioned it yet, but there's also going to be a change behavior of the employees too. You know, what, what they expect for safety and, and type of management and pay and, and, and whatnot. And, and as business start to reopen, there is going to be, there is going to be a problem with a hiring pool because they are making a whole lot of money sitting at home. And so from the lower wage paying basic jobs that will start to come back, like when restaurants start opening back up and, and little convenience stores and things like that, there will be a, this, this, the crossroads of like, Hey, I would love to have a job, but why would I go to work when I don't have to? Yes. Right. They can couch surf and make as much, if not more. Yeah, and so one of the expansion things I'm working on for the restaurant, actually, I, I have an angry I, cat. Sorry, I had a conversation with somebody that would that really like to even talk to about working there, and the, and the comment was like, "Well, will you pay under the table so I don't lose my unemployment benefits?" You know, in the meantime, oh, and so wow. there's just there. I just know there's this employee mindset as well, just also from a safety a safety standpoint too. But um, well, work ethics. What what about, what about work ethic? I mean, you can't tell me that you, you, you put 25% of the population on a couch and tell them don't move and, and eat Cheetos and, and, what, and smoke weed and drink and, and you know, at, and three months later, they're going to just click right into where they were. I mean, and I mean, that there's a reality to that too. Well, there is. And, you know, I'm trying to give humanity grace right now. I mean, you, you look at March numbers for liquor sales in Oregon was the largest month ever. You know, when, when the stimulus checks hit people's bank accounts, the weed shops and liquor stores had the record day ever, you know, so, but I'm trying to give, I'm trying not to look at pessimistic that I'm trying to give grace, like shit, you know, you're at home and you, you know, you want to, you want to go buy some extra weed. Okay. I don't want to judge sure. that. I have a lot of faith in humanity that generally people want to contribute. Generally, people like the feeling of, of being productive more than being bored. There's not a worse feeling uh, in, in humanity than, than boredom. You know, boredom literally kills people. It ages them and, and deteriorates their health. And so the, the way to combat that is to find something to contribute to outside of yourself. And it's a really indulgent thing to just want to sit on the couch and collect a, 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 you know, an unemployment check. Is there that element of society? Yes, there always has been. There always will be. But generally, I believe in humanity. I believe that the reason why we have the amazing things that we do is because people want to fucking do something and, you know, express themselves and be a part of a team. So I, I don't think that that will have much. I think that we're still going to see some people that want to roll up their sleeve and get to work. Of course. Yeah. So the real and question you're, is, you're, guy that you're still shut down. Your restaurant's still shut down for people gathering there, but you do takeout. Is that correct? 
yeah, take out delivery, but I changed the business. Like I've looked at all these that I'm talking about and, and applied it. And, and, you know, we're doing, we're handling it completely different. And one of the secrets I think that agents can actually do and apply if we want to like, like do a relation here between the restaurant business and, and a real estate agent is that a real estate agent. I really like the idea of an agent actually understanding the business that they're in. And, you know, like with my little distinction of entrepreneur creative, it's the same thing with business ownership. There was a guy I met, um, he owned a, a string of car washes and he bought the string of car washes and he, and, and it became a wildly successful triple the profit car wash. And I was like, well, what'd you do? He goes, I realized I wasn't in the car wash business. I was in the self-esteem business. So I built my business around being in the self-esteem business because people feel better about themselves when they're driving the car. You know, like it's a clean car, it drives a little faster, it's a little smoother, like they, uh, like they walk up to their car in the parking lot, it looks a little better. But he, he decided he was in the self-esteem business. So the way he ran his business from the backside, now this wasn't anything he marketed or, or talked about, it looked like a car wash. But the way he trained his employees to what they said when people drove up, the way he had software recognition to, to look at the license plate and be able to, to like bring up their transaction history, the way the, the, the type of material they handed them when they got done with the car wash was all about being in the self-esteem business, not in the car wash business. So it's the same thing with real estate agents. I think if you have an individual client, you're not, you're not in the real estate business with that individual client. With one client, you might be in the, in the business of providing convenience right? Like that might be what they're, you might be in the self-esteem business with them. You might be in the business of providing certainty and security with them, right? But each client, I think that an agent, when they look at their client, they need to actually like, okay, what business am I actually in with these people, with this individual seller, with this individual buyer? And it's going to be different. It's really like one buyer, you might be in the state management business, right? We've all had the buyers that are like either panicky or freaking out or they get nervous. So our job with that particular client isn't being a real estate agent, it's being in the state management business. We're gonna be in the business of giving them certainty. We're gonna be in the business of giving them optimism. We're gonna be in the business of getting them the information they need to make an educated decision to move forward. And so you know, understanding what business you're actually in is really important. So with the restaurant business, I opened the restaurant business and, and I did it for a few reasons, but one of the reasons was to prove a point um, that you know, to, to, a restaurant is the worst investment you can make you know, the highest failure rate. And you, you wanted to prove that point. <laughs> I want to prove yeah. the point. Yeah. I would have believed you before, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to prove a point that you can actually run a, run the, like a, the highest failure rate business and, and make it crush. And cause so I'm, cause I've, I do these business consulting meetings and I'm like, Hey, what I, I need a case study. You know, I need, I need to like mm -hmm. prove like what I'm talking about actually works. I'm not just, you know, academia. It's like, no, they see yourself can be applied. So before all this stuff that happened, I didn't want to open a restaurant. I opened a nutrition business. So I, I, I ran it like that. Well, now I actually made this shift and we just did this this week. I'm in the business of now making people feel better about themselves. Okay. And that's just a huge distinction. Like our marketing, our messaging, our scripting at the, at the desk, our packaging, everything, look and feel, the menu items, the, when it, the, the tactile of the way the menu feels, everything will be changed based on the understanding that that's the business I'm actually going to be in now. We just happen to serve food, right? And so that's the, but that's the same kind of lesson that, a, that an agent can apply to their business or a brokerage owner. You know, as a brokerage owner, I realized at one point in time, I was like, gosh, am I in the, like, the, like the equity management business? Am I in the training business? You know, I'm in the recruiting business or, you know, is this the real estate, are we in compliance business? And no, I went back to that, that state management business where I want to put the agents in the state of optimism instead of pessimism, right? Instead of in productivity, instead of procrastination. That's the business I went in. So I rewrote our, our you know, agendas for our meetings. I, I rewrote the, uh, not me, but the team. We wrote, we wrote you know, the operations manual, our policy manuals, everything. 
and we changed everything and, and, and profit went up and productivity went up because I wanted to be in the state management business instead of the brokerage business. Can I say something really quick about that, Eric, that I so appreciate about what you just said? There is a tendency in real estate to focus, and I'm talking about a brokerage level, right? To focus on what you shouldn't do, to focus on what you can't do. Don't do this. Don't do that. There is a, there is a, there is a, a, a lack in the, in the brokerage business of here's what you can do. Here's what you should be doing. Here's, um, you know, kind of a, kind of that glass half empty glass half full. Now, don't get me wrong. I think brokerages absolutely need the goal keep the goalies telling you don't do this, don't do that. But, but there, there needs to be what you just said, that other part where you're inspiring, where you're motivating, where you're, um, creating, um, just, just a different, approach to moving people forward, not just making them scared of what they could get in trouble for. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the standard, you know, abundance versus scarcity mindset and that, and that you can't do this. You can't do that. We're going to get sued. You got to have 58 addendums to every deal and all that stuff comes from scarcity and empowerment. And so one of the things I did, I met um, one of the founders or, and, uh, of the Ritz Carlton, uh, Hort Schultz, I think is how you pronounce the last name long time ago. And I was just, I've only stayed at Ritz Carlton a couple of times, but I just, I'm infatuated with the experience of it, right? Not the, not the opulence of it, but the experience of it. And, and so I just asked him, how'd you do that? And he had a bunch of really amazing things. But one of the things he said from his employees, he, he didn't have policies and procedures in place. His policy was use good judgment at all times. And, and he gave every, from the, from the groundskeeper to a maid to whatever, a $2,000 budget to handle any client need at any point in time without having to ask for permission or get it, get it approved or anything, just take care of it. So I came back and we actually removed like our minimum commission standards. And so, and it was like, we started teaching people the value of articulating the value in a listing presentation instead of saying, you can't charge less than this. Right. And so, you know, went to, to the theory of empowering and people get scared like, oh, well, you know, we got to have these, I'm like, then why'd you hire them? <laughs> why did you, if you're scared that they won't have good judgment or they won't use reason or logic or, or, or their shape, like, why would you hire them? So in order to have that kind of, you know, that kind of um, abundance mindset, power, you do have to make sure that the people that are there with you can, can really fall in line and go there together. And there's going to be mistakes, of course, but you're all making mistakes forward. You're not making mistakes you know, sideways or backwards, you're making mistakes forward. You learn from it, you, you, you adjust and you, and you keep moving forward. And so it's not a punitive thing. It's like celebrating. Oh my, you pushed the envelope. Awesome. You pushed the envelope because you had good intentions. Awesome. Now here's the way we can do it and push it forward again and still have great intentions and not have this issue. So let's do that next time. Right? So that's the kind of thing. It's like, let's, let's, let's empower each other to use good judgment. We're all adults. We're doing this because we want to make a great living for ourselves and our family. We want to provide a great customer service. So why would I limit you? <laughs> you know, let's do this. I want to, I want to pull in one of our listeners right now because we are getting some, some awesome engagement here on Masters. And I want to reward those who do comment or ask questions. Um, Richard Mario, who happens to also be the legal counsel for, um, for Premier Property Group. He's with Buckley Law. He's awesome. I've actually got about three different clients with him right now. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> he said, Steve Nassar, hold on to the ball versus do not drop the ball. Positive coaching. So just, it's a, it's a different mindset. It's, 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 it's leading not with fear, but leading with, with you know, positivity, like you were talking about. So I got a question, Eric. So like, 
the restaurant mm-hmm. space, it's, I mean, it was at the forefront. So it was hospitality, right? So, I mean, you've, you've had to pivot pretty hard. Uh, you know, how, what are you doing to try and make this new normal work for you guys? I mean, long-term, there was a question there about how many of your employees you think are going to come back, but are you, are you trying to retain like your best talent people, get them to forward think and kind of be creatives as well? What are you doing to try and make this successful moving forward? Yeah, we, we pit like the day we pivoted, you know, we, we had a, we had a meeting, we pitted, we didn't wait. One of the lessons I learned in 2008 was to not be paralyzed ever. And I was paralyzed to do that. I just waited. I was like, oh, I might do this, or maybe we could do this, or we'll see how that plays out, or I'll wait for this announcement, or I'll wait to see how this feels, or I'll check the stats, or whatever. Nope, no, no, you, 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 you have new dynamics right now, you have new information right now, do what you can as best as you can with that information today. You know, don't, don't wait. And so there were options that I thought I would always have. And I was like, okay, we could do this in a couple months if we need to. No, those options shut down at some point. You know, like things became less valuable, lending became less valuable, credit became worse, you know, it was hard. So those moves that I thought I would have later don't have sometimes. So one of the lessons I did learn that I'm doing now, I'm just take action right now. So we started changing everything and, and honestly, our profits are up now. Like we're actually doing better now than, than we were before because we made instant changes. We made instant switches. We weren't scared to make a move because we knew we were making a move to improve things, provide service and to stay in business. The number one rule of business is stay in business. And so opting out of peril, you know, being paralyzed or worried or concerned doesn't serve you. Should you be cautious and diligent? Yes, but you can't be paralyzed. And so that's the, that's the fine line that, that we had to watch. So yeah, we actually switched right away and we're continuing to evolve. We just did it this last week. You know, one of the things I decided to do when restaurants are actually like, like not wanting to spend any money on anything and being careful, we don't know when we can open up and all the things. I'm like, guys, <laughs> people aren't spending any more time on their phones than they are right now. They're, they're not spending any more time on social media than they are right now. They're not in front of a computer more than they are right now. If we're going to spend money on marketing and messaging and branding and, and run out, we're going to do it right now. So let's do it when we can actually talk to a consumer when they're, when they're least distracted and, and have the most accessibility. So, you know, that's, again, it's operating from that like, hey, we got something that you're proud of. We got something that is actually valuable. We have something that we can do to improve somebody's life. Then we're doing them a disservice by not making the most out of that opportunity, right? And that actually came out of conversation with this guy named Chet Holmes, and, and um, uh, he was a sales guy. He wrote this book called uh, The Ultimate Sales Machine. And, and, and I always had this, this like, stay away from the word salesman. I, I just, I don't want to be, I don't want to say I'm in sales or I'm not, you know, in sales. And I was having this conversation with him. He goes, he goes what do you mean? I go, I just don't want to be labeled as a sales guy. I just, you know, I'm going to be a consultant or, you know, an advisor or whatever. And he goes, are you good at what you do? I go, yeah. He goes, he goes, he goes, are you better than other people in your market? I go, yeah. And he goes, okay, then why would you not close on them like a freight train? Why would you let somebody go get an inferior product from an inferior person than you? Like, why would you let them do that? So if you've got a good product and a a great passion and, and a good service level, and you know, you can crush it for your client. Why wouldn't you want to let as many people know about you as possible, right? Like that's what you need to do. And so I started doing these drills with people when I do these like little seminars or classes because there's always people in that are in sales that don't want to be labeled as a salesperson, right? So I do this little drill. I'm like, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up this piece of paper and we're going to write down. If you think of an amazing salesperson, how would you, what would you think that they possess? And every time out of the crowd comes like professionalism, empathy, knowledge, punctuality, you know, just all these great things, a great listener, right? And write these all down. I'm like, look at this list. Like, who wouldn't want to be these things? <laughs> who wouldn't want to be professional and knowledgeable and empathetic and passionate, right? Like, if you want to be these things, that's a great salesperson. So be a great salesperson, right? And own it. 
So it's just, it's just that kind of thing of like understanding like sales isn't manipulation and, and you got to be paralyzed and I don't know where I'm going now, but you get the idea. It's good advice. I mean, I think a lot of people great, are, yeah. especially in this business, because let's face it, you can be a little slimy at times, right? Especially on the mortgage side. Me and Steve were both on that side, right? We were, we were labeled as slimy loan slangers back in the day to some, you know, depending on who you were, I guess. And it's still that way, but, but people don't want to be, I think they toe the line of wanting to be a salesperson, but that's good advice on just embracing because you don't have to be that, you know, version of it. You can be a much better version. So it's good advice. Joe, what do you got for us? You got, you had some topics you wanted to chat about. I know he climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. So, I mean, that's, we'll talk about that later, but. Uh, okay. So, you know. so we, we talked about like uh, what to do. We didn't talk about how. So with this pivot, pivot, what can brokers do right now to help their business? What can they do to in, increase uh, the, the wealth they can share with their clients and customers? And uh, what will make them a better salesperson, right? A lot of people don't like the, the salesman name because it implies that you're talking someone into doing something that they don't necessarily want to do. But really, we're we're in the people business and, and you know, we're, we're salesmen and women and we're in the people business. And in order to do our job, we have to master our craft, be professional, put their uh, needs first, our clients and customers before our own and, and be knowledgeable and ethical and all these different things. What specifically can these realtors do to increase their business in the future with the pivot? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different things. That's a big, that's a big question. It's going to be so individual, but, but in general, I think a start understanding what business are they actually in and, and do they want to be in B getting clear about their priorities. So a lot of agents, they got all the stuff they want to do. You know, there's like, I want to do this. I want to start this blog. I want to do this new campaign. I want to, you know, start a new Facebook group and do garage sales at like, like all these things that they, that they want to do. Right. So like understanding what's a priority first is, is, is a nice way to kind of clear the clutter. Okay. And so like, like a little, so like a little drill that I like to do is when we write down all this stuff that an agent or anybody wants to do, how do you sort it out? Well, what most people do is they do what's either convenient or fun or easy first. Right. And the really important hard stuff doesn't happen or it gets kind of pushed aside. So we just do a little drill. I'm like, all right, we're going to make two columns right next to all of these things. The first column, we're going to have an I. The next column, we're going to have a U. I is importance. U is, U is urgence. And we're going to rank them 1 to 10. So number one is start a blog. Okay, uh, under I, how important is it for your business, health, wealth, and growth that you start a blog? 1 to 10. There's no right answer. Whatever it is, maybe it's a 7. Okay, great. Now, how urgent is it? Because something can be very important but not urgent, right? Like filing taxes is very important, but it might not be urgent until tax day, right? So, you know, you might, those two don't always go together. So we rank it, and now how urgent is it? And then we have a total score. So we do this for the whole list, and then whatever is the highest score, you do first. Whatever is the most urgent and the most important based on their individual businesses, you know, right? I don't have to sit there and say, here's what, here's the playbook for an agent, because there's a million ways to make a great living as a real estate agent. But, you know, most people already know the answers inside. They just have to have a tool to, to be brought it out. You know what I mean? Like they don't have to be told what to do. They have to be put in an environment where they can self-discover. And self-discovery is a way more powerful form of persuasion than, than influence, you know, outside influence. So that's the same thing in sales. Like when they're working with clients, right? Like we're taught like, oh, a good salesman asks open-ended questions, right? 
And so they ask questions that help me understand your, your needs better. No, that's the old way of doing it. I think all the questions that an agent needs to ask is allow the client self-discovery. So they, the client understands their position better, not me, right? I'm trying to probe questions so they go, oh, yeah, this is what I mean, or this is what I do. Not so I understand their life or their needs better, so the client understands their life and their need better. That's, that's my job, and I think that's the job of a real estate agent. So, you know, when we talk about even just questioning, just understanding human psychology, you ask the question, what can an agent be doing right now? Study human psychology. <laughs> understand what makes people tick, right? Understand why, why happy people are happy and sad people are sad. Fit people are fit and, and unhealthy people are unhealthy. Like what, like why is that dynamic happen? And if you can understand that, then you can be a, one, an amazing real estate agent. Yeah. One thing that's unique in this, in this environment that we're in, and I'm seeing this with all businesses and it, 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 it got me to thinking the other day, I was watching the evening news and it started talking about a mall somewhere in America that was making all these changes to accommodate the COVID-19 world, right? So that someday, hopefully, they can reopen. And it talked about, you know, certain entrances and chairs apart. But, but some of the changes seemed a little bit more long-term to me. And I, I kind of got, it made me ask that question. I was like, gosh, where do you draw the line with things that you implement today that are massive, but maybe won't be needed in a year and a half? If they're and needed, they're needed have, today. What's that? If they're needed today, they're needed today. Yeah. You know? but, but, where, but where also do you, do you make those changes? Um, and, and, and some of this applies to our world in real estate, right? And here's, here's one thing I will, I will say that I try to pay attention to. There are changes that are urgent today, right? You have to make them, right? You got to wear a mask if you're doing a showing or you got to um, social distance. You have to, you know, those are, you have to do those today to function today. But then there might be other changes that are pretty massive. I mean, you could create a whole website about all the implementations you're making on social distancing, and that could take a lot of energy and a lot of, a, a lot of time, but maybe be obsolete in a year and a half. So what I like to try to focus on are the things that are going to be very important today, but also will be important long term. And, and, you, tr and you can kind of try to prioritize those um, as well. Um, yeah, but sometimes those are in odds of each other. You know, sometimes those can be in direct conflict. They can, but I'm talking about the ones that aren't. I'm talking about the ones that aren't. For example, give me an example, Steve. Like what's Zoom, something that you're working Zoom, on now? Zoom's not going away. Video conferencing will be here forever. Get good at Zoom. Get good at video conferencing. Create a system where, with new clients that engage you or you engage them, and immediately your first your first order of business is we're going to see face to face. I'm going to meet with you that way. I'm going to give you a presentation. I'm going to talk about your search. I'm going to show you your search. You know, for, for the eight years I've been in real estate, I would always sit on a phone and describe, okay, so you, you like the Willamette River on the east. Um, talk to me about the west. So, so to, I mean, it was, it was kind of this clunky process. Literally now I'm showing them the map and I'm pulling the lines to where they want it to be. Okay. Not to mention all the other components. So, so that to me is something that I'm saying, this isn't going away. So I'm going to get really good at this today because it is going to help me today and it will help me in the future because a year and a half from now, I'm not going to change that system. That will still be something that's implemented. <clears throat> and there's other things like that. There's other things like that that, that, I, that I like to acknowledge can be really beneficial today and can be really beneficial long-term. Yeah, it could be, yeah. I think what Eric's talking about is like, do I want to create a, 
a blog where I rate food destinations and use that as a traffic source to get people in to then ultimately try and get them to know me. So they use me as a realtor, right? Like, is that something that, that does the collective score on that? Is that a good use of your time? Right. I mean, I think that's really the, the, the reason for the exercise if I get it right. Right. Eric? Yeah, it is, and, and, and it's just fluid, you know, so not being married to the way that you did business yesterday is important to your success today and mm-hmm. not attaching your, your, your identity or your ego to something and be willing to scrap it if it's not working. You know, so it's not about, for me, if, if a business or an entrepreneur or an agent or anybody is, is clear on what their goals are, then the approach can just change constantly. Like the path to the goal isn't gonna be the same. Like you're gonna have to take the detour, you're gonna have to get on the bumpy road, you're gonna have to take the overpass, you're gonna have to go through the tunnel, you might have to swim, but, but you're gonna head to the goal. You just have to change your approach. So when, when I'm working with somebody and they say, Hey, you know, like I've tried everything, you know, I want to, I want to accomplish this thing, but I've tried everything. It's like, no, you've tried everything except for what works because unless what you're talking about defies the rules of physics, it's possible, right? What you're talking, and probably somebody else has done it before too. So if those two things are true, if it's, if it's not physically impossible and likely somebody else has, has already done it, then success leaves clues and let's find out what those clues are, right? And so it's, 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 again, it's just not being, not being just on the path. I'm driving this car on this road and that's how I'm going to get there. You know, it's like, nope, I'm going to abandon this car right now and hop on the subway. And then the subway ends, you get to my destination. I'm going to get on my plane. Right. But the the idea is that you want to get there. So you're going to take whatever means you can to get there to, to achieve the goal. And sometimes it's just about finding the right motivation actually to jump off the train and go to the plane. So, you know, like if you think like Joe right now, where are you at in Westland? Are you by 205? Top of the hill uh, by the, in the Safeway parking lot. All right. So 205 is busy, right? You know, by 10th Street X, right? So if you're standing on one side of 205, on the other side of 205, I'm like, dude, Joe, rush hour traffic. Uh, I want you to get to the other side of 205. You'd be like, dude, what? <laughs> like, like, how much beer juice are you drinking at minimum? Like, what? I'm like, <laughs> okay, we don't have enough motivation. I'm like, now let me put $10 million in cash on the other side of that freeway. You want to go across there now? You'd be like, yeah. Or you're like, ah, $10 million, I don't know. I'm like, all right, let me take your, your most precious loved one and put them on the other side and say they need your help urgently. When you find a way to get there, right? Absolutely. So sometimes it's not about like, oh, I'm scared of the bus, I'm scared of the traffic. No, you're scared of not having the right motivation to actually do the work to get to the other side to achieve the goal. So you got to attach the right motivation to the goal or else you won't get off the car and get to the plane in that example. So you got to have the right kind of clarity about why you're doing what you're doing. And that reminds me of, uh, it, this was always a loaded question, but when you were kids, you know, did you ever play the game? Hey, you can pick one thing. You could either be rich beyond all means, you could uh, have love, or you could have health, and you can only pick one. Well, it's a loaded question, because your life will absolutely suck if you picked one. You know, you're, you're a billionaire, but you have bad health, you're in pain, and you're alone. I mean, in any combination of that, it's terrible. And so kind of what I'm getting out of this is there is a life balance that we need to do what we do. Uh, We need to be healthy. We need to exercise. We need to do some charitable stuff. We need to increase our knowledge and my mantra, master your craft. Uh, And what Steve says, I mean, we need to embrace uh, technology like Zoom and Loom and those things didn't just fall out of the sky day one of COVID. What's Loom? By People the way. were forced to use it, right? Yeah. And, and you use it for enough time, 30 days, 45 days, it's habit forming. People aren't going to go back to maybe necessarily commuting a half hour to the office. 
to go to a one hour meeting that could have been an email to go back a half hour, they're going to jump on zoom and get it done immediately. Talk to their, their clients. They're going to continue to reach out and make their social connections and their family connections. And so what I'm getting out of this is it's a, it's a life balance and it's not just one thing that's going to make it work. And uh, it's great to have people think in that, in those regards. It is. I, 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 I've struggled with balance because balance to means, means equal, <laughs> you know, balance in my mind, like, like you picture scales or you picture a seesaw or whatever. And you pick, like, that's balance. Right. Well, it's really hard to be crushing. Like when I was competing for, for like Ironman events, triathlon events, like I would get out of balance going into my fitness world because that's the kind of dedication it took to achieve the level I wanted to achieve with that goal. So you have to be okay with going out of balance if you're trying to achieve a goal that's healthy for you, right? Or healthy for your family or your long-term objective. So your short-term objective, your short-term goals are going to put you out of balance completely at times. And so you have to be okay with that. Like if you need to go to work and you got to work 14 hours a day, you're going to miss your kids. You're out of balance. Don't feel guilty with that because there's a reason for it. There's a short-term objective you're trying to achieve. And you're going to be the out of balance the other way when you're on vacation with them and spending quality time and you're not answering your phone, you know? So like being okay with out of balance, as long as you're doing it intentionally. And, but most people don't operate that intentionally, either in business or in their life. It's, it's very reactionary. It's very just a go with the flow because this is what I'm told to do or whatever. I'm not making judgments. It's just, that's just the, the state of the way things are. So intentionality is just one of those just key, key things. And you went back, actually, you said master your craft. I, I got to point this out. Like, there isn't another competitive advantage that you can have. Like it's not technology. It's not your marketing. It's not your name brand. It's not whatever. The only competitive sustainable competitive advantage you ever have is your willingness to continue to learn and grow. That's, that's the only single competitive advantage a business or an individual entrepreneur has, you know? And so as long as you have that, like, okay, my, my competitive advantage is my willingness to learn and grow. It isn't my website. It isn't my CRM. It isn't my brand. It isn't my, my, my slick marketing because that's, that's just going to change. Matter important would take. Like all these things that may be a competitive advantage right now, those aren't sustainable because be, it's like an arms race. They'll be, they'll be neutralized at some point. So, but the willingness to learn and grow, that's your, that's your only sustainable competitive advantage. And, and by balance, by the way, uh, if I can make an analogy of like a, a music, right? If you have this big equalizer and if you had all of the buttons on six all the way across, it'd probably sound like shit. So (laughs) (laughs) when I say balance, if you're competing at a high level and and you, you have goals and, and getting your exercise and eating right is a, is a nine. I balance is hitting that nine at the time you need, right? It goes back to the you and the I that we talked about. And if, um, you know, maybe, maybe your charitable contributions or your social contributions or something, that button goes down. And so like an equalizer, you have the most important right now things high and other things that are less urgent, you know, down low. And then look, after uh, the competition's over, maybe you like raise these levels and lower those levels. And so I think the balance is analyzing uh, what you want your life to look like right now and then focusing on those events you have in the 24 hours a day we we own yeah and and think about it like the the center of your business the center of your family the center of what is you right like like so your business is only as honest as you are is only as you know uh effective as you are it's only as knowledgeable you are it's only as productive as you are it's only as efficient as you are 
So most of the time, the deficiencies, especially in a small business, come as a direct result of a personal flaw, not a business flaw, of a personal, like me, Eric, I have, I've got a weakness, right? I've got, I've got a flaw. I've got, I've got a, a mental block. I've got something. So I, I, I personally believe that an order of health, you know, wealth or what love, you know, if that individual health, mental health and physical health, that to me is the absolute number one priority because if I don't have that, I can't, I can't have the focus and the clarity and the energy needed to, to do those other things at a very high level. And so especially if you have any sort of like, you know, lingering illnesses or you're, you're groggy in the morning and you have to have five cups of coffee in order to get going and like you're just fighting an uphill battle. So if people don't have enough, you know, awareness about their self-care and their mental self-care and their physical self-care, then of course there's going to be deficiencies in all the other parts of your life because you're bringing that same broken you to those other parts of your life. So that, you know, the common denominator, all the other factions of your life that are an issue, the common denominator is you. And you have to have that self accountability and responsibility. Like, Oh, I'm having problems in, in friendships. I have problems in business. I don't have a lot of money in the bank. I'm not that happy. The common denominator is you. So you got to own that and be like, all right, it's not their problem. It's not my boss's problem. It's not my coworkers problem. It's not the market's problem. It's my problem. Let me own it and fix it. So, that's a tough for people because I know a lot of people that are their own worst enemy. <laughs> they just, it's like those people that just seem to get in their own damn way everywhere they go and you just want to slap the shit out of them sometimes But it's like you just take a step back and just diagnose yourself for a second, you know, but it's hard for people to do though, I think. So. Yeah, it's hard to be, it's hard, you know, to be humble. Like, like even in conversation, I might speak very um, persuasively or, or aggressively because I want to argue and, 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 and orate and talk like I'm right, but I'm listening like I'm wrong. So the second I'm saying something, I'm saying with conviction because that's what I believe. That's the set of beliefs that I've established. So I have this set of opinions or a way of looking at things. But the minute I stop talking and the minute I start looking for information, I'm 100% no ego attached. Like I'm wrong. I'm just like, let me be wrong for a minute. Let me see the holes in what I'm thinking or the way of thinking. Like, so that, that just that concept of argue like you're right and listen like you're wrong has been so powerful for me. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the listening like you're wrong that doesn't happen today especially yeah. social media. Good point. It's all the convictions why I'm right and why you're wrong and, and why my person's better and my beliefs. Um, so it takes a little humility to listen, listen like you're wrong. So I think that's great advice. It is, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. Let's see. Um, and I, I just wanted to kind of add a little bit onto what you were talking about, Eric. I mean, we, you talked about, you know, the important component to being a, a, a realtor is the learning and growing. And I, and I thoroughly agree with that. I would also add that it's it's a skill set. And what what skill set means is it's not one thing. You know, people ask sometimes, what is the one thing that makes you a great realtor? There's not one thing. There's a, there's a multitude of things. It's a skill set. And an analogy I use is what makes a great basketball player? Is it that he's the the, the tallest guy? No. We've seen tall guys that aren't. Is he the fastest guy? No. There's there's athletes in the Olympics that sprint hundred meters that aren't, aren't NBA play. It's a combination of those, those attributes. And the same is true of real estate. A couple of things that really, really, and we've touched on these positivity and tenacity. Tenacity is that, that mindset that I'm not going to give up regardless. And you talked about keep driving, right? Keep driving. Um, we have a couple more comments and Richard Mario said, um, Thomas Edison said he discovered a thousand ways not to invent a light bulb before he invented the light bulb. Um, That's so, tenacity. I, I love that. I love that, that saying. I mean, it, it's, you, you never are a failure until the day you give up, right? And take it from a guy myself who went through my own, my own challenges and demons through the last downturn, the 08 recession. You got to keep moving. 
I even ended up in a different industry, <laughs> but through that process. But you just got to keep moving. Same industry, I should say, but a different side of the industry. Um, you got to keep moving forward. Positivity plays such a large role in that. Every negative, if you look at it and, and go through it far and take it far enough with the right mindset can be turned into a positive. Um, the last thing I'll say about this, I saw an, a post on Facebook the other day that I hadn't seen since the last downturn. And it reminded me because I did see it a few times during the last downturn. It said, never be afraid to start over. And that is, that is a powerful thing to say because when you hit zero, and I'm not saying any of us on this, and, and hopefully a lot of realtors won't, but there will be some in our industry. There's definitely going to be others in other industries. If, if you have to start over, you might like the new version of you or the new business you create. It's only a failure if you stop and park there and go, I failed here. This business is dead. I'm just going to sit here and, and hang out with it. So, you know, devil's advocate just for fun again, like the idea. You love the devil's advocate. I'm going <laughs> to you know, start doing devil's advocate too. Bring it. That's how like, like that's how real progress happens out of a conversation. You know what I mean? I like, love it. I love it. You know, operate, so it's not even, I don't, when I play the devil's advocate, sometimes I don't even do it because I believe what I'm saying, but right. I test, I test to okay. see if the theory I just heard is actually real or not. Okay. And if I can poke a hole in it, then there's a, then there's somewhere in the middle ground. So sure. anyways, it's just, it's, I've just done this forever. But the idea, like, you know, people that have stayed in a relationship too long, right? You sure? Yeah. Right? yeah. You know, you know, agents that have stayed in the business of being a real estate agent and went broke when they probably should have quit being a real estate agent earlier. Right? They should have take, taken the business behind the woodshed and shot it like a, a like and an old shot, dog. Right? Yeah. So that's, giving a, up. that's a Shark Tank saying, by the way. Giving yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Mr. Wonderful. Um, Mr. Wonderful, yeah. But giving up is actually a skill and knowing when to give up. That doesn't mean it's a failure. That means that you have a bigger goal that you're trying to achieve. So sure. when a real estate agent is sure. hung on to Totally. It, I agree. I agree with that. that, that yeah. Like being okay with that, like, no, I, I got I to gotta shoot this job. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not talking about those agents who should be questioning that. I'm talking about ones who had what it took through, through ups and downs, through, through a, a, a test period that was long enough and sustainable enough that they, 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 they know that they, they have what it takes to be a realtor. You're absolutely right. Yeah. That, that abs there are new people in the business who should understand when the, the writing is on the wall, I should not be in this business. And that applies to all businesses. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yep. I think you're talking about like, for example, Eric's restaurant, right? He, instead of parking the car and say, well, shit, this world of uh, restaurant hospitality is kind of screwed right now. You change things and, you know, uh, to your credit, you said you're more profitable now than you were before, right? So, I mean, but the business now looks very different than what it probably looked like three months ago. And so I think that that's Steve's point, right? I mean, moving forward, what are you doing differently? Because it may be very different, right? I mean, we're operating very differently with a whole new set of rules than we were three months ago. And I've done this before. This is kind of, you know, I feel like a, a little PTSD, a little deja vu all wrapped into one, but you know, that's the reality of the world we live in. So that's what we're doing, you know? And, but I think some people don't embrace it as much because they just haven't gone through it before. And leaders, every single agent or every single brokerage owner or manager is a leader, right? And so leaders, you know, in order to be effective leader, you can't see things better than they are. You can't see things worse than they are. You have to see things for exactly the way they are. And, and that's what a real leader does. It's not, it's, it's not like, Hey, let's make something that's really shitty sound great. Just to, you know, just blow smoke up everybody's butt. Right. It, it's like, no, this, this, yes, this actually sucks. And, and here's why it sucks. But because it sucks, there's opportunity. 
And there's opportunity here that most people won't be able to, to see or be willing to go for. We're going to do that. It's going to suck, but we're going to make these like just to have the ability to like, no, like let's the, the empathy, sympathy thing I was talking about the other day in a video, like that's empathy to see like, no, this is going to suck to change. It's going to suck to do a new way of doing business. It's going to suck to take a maybe hit in our income or whatever it is. But, but there's opportunity and chaos. Chaos brings the most opportunity ever. When everything's status quo, it's hard to break in. It's hard to change. It's hard. But in chaos, right, there's huge financial uh, opportunity. There's huge emotion. There's huge opportunity for personal growth. I mean, there's just so much opportunity inside of chaos that I think that, you know, when, when things are more chaotic, there's more swings on the that that brings the most opportunity for people that are willing to roll up their sleeves and get to work and be creative for, for, than they ever had had before. Things were just status quo. Well, here's a good example of that, Eric. So you said March, what, March 2008 was kind of your, you know, let's call it the bomb hole day. Yeah. Mine was somewhere around there, probably not March. I think it was towards the end of 2007, right? Yeah, so, we were in August. We, yeah. And, mortgage uh, business, the tsunami hit us in August. Of yeah. 07. And so once the tsunami hit, I do remember sitting in my car outside the office and I was counting up all the rental properties I had and I was counting up all the negative cash flow I had and then I was counting up all the money I had in the bank and I was doing my mental math of like, okay, how much runway do I have before, you know? It, I'm screwed. Right. And so, but sh so I sat there and I kind of wallowed in my own self pity for an hour or two. And then literally that next week I changed the heading of the ship. I decided that I didn't want to be in the mortgage game anymore. Not necessarily because it's a bad game now, but it just, it, it wasn't fun for me then either really in comparison to what we do now. And I started TTM development company in November, 2008. And here we are 12 years later. So to go back to your point, you know, chaos brings opportunity, right? Well, that's the opportunity that I created out of that chaos. And, you know, you guys did many of those things as well. Yeah. I want to I share with our listeners a formula that has helped me in my life going through a chaos, we could call it, or, or adversity is another way to say it. And I, I've read this, and I, I, I'd used this before, but then I actually read it in a book that, that worded it very well by Dale Carnegie. It was a book written 100 years ago, maybe almost. When you go through tremendous adversity, and this kind of plays to what you were talking about, Eric, I find it very valuable to, 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 scan, to scan your options and scan your scenario and glance at, and, and I'm using the word glance purposefully because it needs to be a short amount of time on this. Glance at your worst case scenario. What would that look like? What would that be? How would I deal with it? Okay, then get that the frick out of your mind and go to your best case scenario and think that through and move towards that. And, the, and, and that, that plays to what you said. Because you said, Eric, you said, you know, as a leader, we can't be overly rosy, right? And not be, not be looking at reality. But we also don't want to be so pess pessimistic that we're, all we're thinking about is how bad things can be. So I think that formula has always helped me. And you want to repeatedly do that. I mean, it's not a one-time thing like, hey, today my worst case scenario is, you know, I, 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 I have to change brokerages or I have to, you know, go get out of the business. And then, you know, a month from now, things have changed and you don't do it again. But I, I just, what I find that does is it keeps you in a place of positivity. Because if you're focused on your best case scenario, your mind is focused on, on positive things yet you've analyzed the realities and what could go wrong and you've, and you've thought them through and you, you have a plan should that happen, but then you're not thinking about that oh, oh, too much. Yeah, and, and the psychology behind that, that sort of thing, like the reason why people say, oh, they, they said then they blame 
like blame like the, the government, the, the president or whatever, and sit there and blame. The reason why things are shitty is because of this thing. Um, and spending time on things you cannot control is the easiest way not to have any accountability and self-responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. And so when, whenever anybody's focused on all the stuff that is not inside their control, that's the, that's the fastest way that gives them an excuse not to be where they want to be or not to be where they should be. And so that's that glance at the negative thing. Like I'm having, I'm going to, I love that you said glance, like, yes, let's glance at the stuff I can't control, but then ignore it. Because if you can't control it, why would you, why would it keep you like from, from doing what you should be doing or, or can be doing? And, and it robs you of peace today. What's that? And it robs you of your peace today. It robs you of your peace. It robs, yeah. you, it robs you of your power. Yeah. You know, a hundred percent. If you give up power to somebody else, then, then, then what good are you? You know, you're, mm-hmm. What can you do for your clients, your family, or yourself? You know, if you've given up all of your power, even your emotional power. So yeah, Eric, I wanted to ask you a question about 2008. What did you learn from about cutting expenses? Because here's a here's some real data. We at, at PPG, um, um, Jeff Wyron sent sent out an email earlier this week as as president. He had gone through the numbers and he looked at our our numbers for the month of April compared to April 2019, and pretty much across the board. We were down 70% on closings, pending sales, and new listings. So that's a big chunk of the market. And, I, and, and I'm with you, Joe. I don't think, I think next month, or maybe not next month, but next month might be worse. But, but starting June, July, you're going to start to see those tick up and, and things will get a little bit back to normal. But overnight, 30% of the business evaporated. Now, there's a lot of realtors out there, because I know realtors, <laughs> that that when they make a dollar, they're spending a dollar, right? And, 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 or maybe a dollar 10 even. So what advice do you have for those realtors who woke up one day and their expenses were, uh, were more than their, their revenues? Yeah. Well, first of all, most people actually don't have an expense problem. They have a revenue problem. Meaning, you know, so let's say that the market did shrink 30%. So we have 70%. Well, until you have sold all that 70%, <laughs> your competitor is still taking deals from you, right? So you can't blame the market when you haven't done all of the deals in the market because there's business out there that was being done still, just not being done by you. So if you want to like talk ultimate accountability, you're like, okay, I know the market went down 30%, but there's still 70% done. I didn't do all 70%, so how can I blame the market when there's other business that was still being done, it just wasn't done by us or me. Does that make sense? So I start from that standpoint first, right? That accountability, like, oh shit, like the competitor is still making deals, right? So how can I blame the market going down when there's still other deals being done that I didn't do? But let, right? me, be, let me be devil's advocate here. <laughs> and I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy this. And I learned this from 2008, okay? I was that guy. I, I've, and I've talked about this on the podcast. I own a house on the lake. I was building a brand new house. I was like Tucker. I had about 10 rentals. Most of them were negative cash flow. I had several cars, a Harley. I mean, I was, I immediately, incomes dropped. And I, and I, was, a, I was a successful mortgage loan originator. And I thought, and I made a mistake, and I thought I can outrun these gators, okay? Here was the problem I encountered. It's really hard to run, outrun the gators when all that you're, you're doing is focused on them nipping you behind. Yeah, you yeah. can't get the new business that you should be getting because your mind is not in the right place. If you're getting on the phone call 
with a mortgage holder and trying to, trying to negotiate, trying to figure out how you're going to pay the rents on those, those rental properties. It's really hard to get all of a sudden hang up on that and go, Oh, I've got a new listing leader. I've got a new loan application. Let me get on the phone. So I felt like I learned from that, that you quickly have to deal with the expense component and get to where, get to where, and, and for some it's harder than others. I get it get to where you are as profitable or as cl close to profitable. And then you start to grow market share. Then you start to, to, to go, okay, there's a lot of business out there. Let me see how I can grow that. Cause you have, you have a better mind frame for that. Would you, th did you experience that? Well, a hundred percent. And it kind of goes back to what I was talking about. So the reason why I started off with that mindset, like there's still business to do because that gives you purpose. That, that, that gives you power that there's still, that there's work to be done still that we don't have to be the mercy of the market drop. Now, the minute you do that, that's what goes back to our conversation probably 40 minutes ago. And we're like understanding what the new rules are. Mm -hmm. so the minute there's the new rules, then you have to go the bit. The, the reason why I didn't want to start talking about like cutting costs or cutting expenses, because there is peril in cutting too much expenses. Like if you sure. cut too many services or sure. too much marketing, whatever, you're actually creating a new business. Yeah. It's a different level of service to your agents or to your customers or the experience is different. So, you know, when you cut something, you have to understand you're transitioning your business. So you have to make sure that when the cuts are made, you're operating underneath the new rules towards the business that you, that you're trying to achieve, not just to save some cash right now. That is just a bandaid and that's fine. It might be necessary, but that's a bandaid. That's not, that's not the solution. So, so maybe the personal cuts are the first cuts you should be focusing on. Would you, would you say that's, I mean, and I'm talking. I'll give you an example. I'll give you yeah. like a very personal example. I built about five or six years ago. I built my dream 72 muscle car Camaro, like from scratch. I took years to do this thing. Like I, I designed the steering wheel. I designed the interior, drew it, had like designed the wheels, like everything. I did most of the work that I could. Beautiful. Like the dream car that I always wanted to build. It was something creative. I want to do I was going to pass it on to my son. Right. The minute this all happened, I looked at all my assets and I looked at all my cash flow. I looked at all my, my everything. And I was like, why would I be attached to a car like this? When if I don't know what it's going to look like in 90 days from now, the most important thing, most important responsibility I have is keep a roof over my family's head, keep responsibility to my employees and make good on all the promises I've made to my creditors. Right? So if I, I all those are higher priority than a freaking muscle car in a garage. Absolutely. Right? So the Absolutely. second that happened, the lesson I learned in 2008, is that I want to make moves now before it was too late. So I made a move that very first, like second or third day, I put the car up for sale, found a buyer right away, did a deal, right? So I just improved my liquidity without having ego attached. Just And just, it didn't affect your business. That's, what I, that's, my, that's my point. That is the, make those personal cuts you can, because when you start cutting at the business, and I'm not saying you don't, you don't make cuts in the business, but when you start making cuts at the business, now you're hurting future revenue. That muscle car was not going to bring you any future revenue. Totally, totally. Totally. And I don't know if I'll ever need the cash, but, but, but I was, I was after 2000, after I got all that, I'm like, all right, that was a really expensive set of lessons. I paid for this education. If I ever need this education again, I'm going to promise myself and my friends and my family and business partners, I'm going to use it right away. So it was the first thing I started doing. I started implementing the strategies right away. And that was the first move I made. And I'm super happy I did it. I don't regret it. You know, like it's, it's all good. And I hopefully it, it was just like insurance a little bit. Hopefully I never even use it, but at least I, I know that I, like if I waited another 60 days, I don't know what the value would be. I don't know if there'd be a buyer. You can't get a loan for it, right? So I wanted to make sure that I made those, those cuts right away. And that's what I was talking about paralysis before. You know, like you just can't, like you got to start going. Here's the new rules. Let's do it. Let's just yeah. go. Let's, and, let's go. And that insurance and that money in the bank gives you confidence. It gives you peace. It lets you sleep at night. So now you get up the next day and you can, you, you can accomplish so much more, which, which, you know, it's a perpetual motion machine. Now 
you have you, you have more success and you have more confidence and more and, and more peace. Yeah. Um, and it gives you a competitive advantage. So for our listeners who are, who find themselves in that place, I think Tucker. I mean, you, I I know you went through that. You you would agree. Go to the personal stuff first. Where are the cuts you can make personally that will never affect the business? Then if you've done all those and you still aren't profitable, and, and it, I think you, you brought a point, Tucker, look at your runway, look at the amount of capital you have. Um, the one thing I saw happen in 08, and I hope it doesn't happen now, is I did see people who thought they had a lot of runway a year or two later realize the runway was running out and wishing they had gone back before and done that. So I personally, and this is my personal opinion, I know this, re this recession is different. I personally think you just gotta get yourself to profitability as fast as possible. Yeah. You gotta get to where every month what's coming in is more than what's going out. Even if you think you have a lot of money in the bank and you have a lot of runway, you just don't know how long these things are gonna last and you don't know what the future holds, what other shifts are gonna occur in the economy or something that suddenly goes, oh, this might last longer than we thought. Um, including, you know, maybe a second spell of, of this um, virus in, in the fall or something. Um, the other thing, then once you've done those personal cuts, start looking at your business and start asking yourself the questions, where can I make cuts in my business that won't affect future revenue or affect it less than other ways? And, and they're not always easy decisions, but it takes, it takes um, some, some, you know, some forethought and do you have any... Thing or who be more valuable to the business, right, Steve? Like, what are people doing now for the business that are maybe it's not as valuable as something else that they could do to, you know, maintain themselves as a fixture of the business moving forward, right? Everybody's, as your business gets bigger, you've got filler employees, right? And those filler jobs are kind of the first ones to get whacked as we get into this tighten your belt time period. And it's like, okay, of those filler people, what can they do to do more kind of, let's call it uh, revenue generating activity, right? For the business, as opposed to just being a filler piece. Mm-hmm. 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 I think I think it's essential that we all pivot, make the necessary pivots that we have to. And, you know, back earlier in this podcast, and you know, this is something that's been promoted for a long time, is you, you need to work from a place of abundance and not scarcity. And looking back at the gators nipping at your heels is looking at scarcity, and you got to come from a place of, of abundance. In order to do that, you do need to tighten your belt and with the new way business is done, get rid of the things that were something effective three months ago and pivot to the new things today. And, uh, you know, I'm very optimistic. I think in a few months, we're going to have more real estate than we can handle. And look, it's, it's, I think the populace of who's out there, we're, there's going to be a lot of attrition. There's going to a lot of, be a lot of people who's going to get a real job. But look, for, for you to make a great living, maybe you need to close, you know, 30 transactions. Maybe it's 50 transactions. Maybe it's 100, you know. Uh, for, for you to continue on, you just need to do the same number of transactions, if not better, to succeed. And I think for those who take it seriously, try and master their craft, try and be the best salesman, people, person, realtor they can possibly be. I think there's a, a lot, lot of bright road ahead of us. And uh, uh, so there's a couple of takeaways, you know, change your business, tighten your belt, come from abundance and not scarcity. And um, Do I'm, you think it's hard to come from abundance and not scarcity if you're currently 
underwater on a month in and month out basis. I mean, that's kind of to my point. And, and, and I'm, I know you're agreeing, that's we're, we're saying the same thing, but isn't it really hard if, if you say, say you have minimal savings and all of a sudden your, in, your, your revenue is, is less than your expenses, doesn't that naturally breed a scarcity mindset? And it's hard to correct that without correcting that issue. I, I think that the reason why you get into that position is because you're operating already from a scarcity mindset. Meaning like, I can't, I can't not make this change. So now I'm in the red and you've already put yourself in the red. You're, by the time you're in the red, you're already in a scarcity mindset. Cause you've got That's what I'm saying. I yeah. agree. That's yeah. 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 So to fix that, you kind of have to fix the numbers. You have to fix the numbers as quickly as possible. And in a manner that, 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 that is as least impactful on your business as possible. And then, I, and then you start to see the world through the abundance mindset and can kind of start to build it from there. I know, I know what you're saying. So we're all sports guys, right? And, and if you're into sports, you're going to know this analogy and it's like playing to win versus playing not to lose. Mm -hmm. And we all see the, the front runner there, you know, let's use a basketball analogy. They're up by 20 points. And then that last quarter, they're playing not to lose. And the underdog comes back and it's a Cinderella story and they win. Mm -hmm. And it's because they were playing not to lose. They're playing out of scarcity and not abundance. And I'm not talking about putting on rose colored glasses, but I'm, I'm talking about your, your paradigm and how you go about business, right? I 100% agree not to candy coat it, right? We need to look at it seriously. We call that a, a inch of frosting on a layer of frosting on a piece of shit cake, right? You need to be <laughs> realistic of where you are, but you have to adapt. And if you're always playing not to lose, you'll probably lose a lot and regret it. And, and right now, like I think that the agents and, and anybody right now actually like if you're going to like talk about something to do right now and like a mindset to be in right now, and that's instantly like be comfortable with being uncomfortable, like 100% learn to be comfortable with just being uncomfortable. Like when I read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, like when it first came out, however many long time ago, I took that lesson right away. And there were some actually really cheesy, crazy things in there about being uncomfortable and learning a skill set of like being okay with that. That's actually why I climbed Kilimanjaro. That's actually why I started doing triathlons because I wanted to have that skill set of like being comfortable, being uncomfortable all the time. So when I signed up for my first Ironman event, I couldn't swim. Like I literally couldn't swim a lap back and forth on a pool, right? So how do I go from 25 yards to doing 2,500? Like I, I had to figure that out, like being uncomfortable in that situation. I knew the only way to be uncomfortable was to set a big goal, have a, have some sort of accountability towards that, and then I would learn the skill. And so that, that I just had to put myself in a position of being uncomfortable in order to have that skill set to move forward. So just mm -hmm. be uncomfortable and, and be okay. Well, I think there's a lot of people uncomfortable that. right now. <laughs> but, but that needs to be okay. Like you need to be able yeah. to that. Like, have, like not having the answer today, that's okay. But having the mindset of like understanding what that goal is and the motivation with the free bail, like that's, then that all just makes them the clarity comes out and you know what to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the hey, only constant is change, right? I mean, that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's kind of what that's saying. Yeah. Well, we've been going for about an hour and a half here, Eric, and I want to kind of give you a, give you a forum here to kind of give people some maybe parting words of advice. Um, it's been an amazing show and great conversation as uh, I knew it would be Joe. See, I told you ahead of time, we didn't have to script this. We could just go. Um, yeah. But totally. you know, given the situation, you're in the middle of it. You've got a business, you're, you're pivoting, you're making it work successfully. So kudos to you. 
you know, you got a lot of life experience, you've done a lot of things. What are some, you know, maybe a couple pieces of parting advice here that you have for everybody um, that, you know, maybe we can leave this on a positive note. That's uh, we'll, we'll talk about the frosting on the shit cake. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I hadn't planned anything, but, but right now I know that like, I keep talking about mental state. That is the most important thing. And most of the time when somebody does get in a place of scarcity or they do get down or depressed or nervous or frustrated, it's because the only thing that they're thinking about is themselves. Like that's why you get in that state. Like I'm depressed because of these things that are happening to me. So the quickest way to get out any of those negative states is to instantly focus on something bigger than yourself, your church, your community, your family, your friends, your business, your clients, your business partners. Like the minute that you can stop focusing on yourself and quit being self-indulgent with those thoughts is the minute that you can start contributing to the greater good and that gets you momentum. Right. And so, you know, we talk about momentum, like right now, this momentum is like, oh, put the, put the brakes. Let's see what happens. Right. I'm just feeling this like halt of halt of progress. Right. And so this this thing about abundance, just it comes from abundance, comes from thinking about things that are just outside of, of you and willing to contribute to those things. And so I, I just I want everyone to just have the, the kind of confidence um, that as we, as we look around, like, yeah, you, you know, you go into Trader Joe's or Safeway, it's weird, it's awkward, it's different, but there's still food on the shelves, right? There, there's still, you know, like right now, this out pouring like through my restaurant, like we're feeding, you know, hundreds of nurses, like right now I'm getting, you know, donations from people that are wanting to do something good. And so we're crafting these, these amazing meals and delivering to first responders and police and, and firefighters and nurses. And, and, and I'm doing this because I was like, okay, how can we keep my purveyors you know, in business, how can we keep my staff in business? How can we do something really amazing? And I keep the flow going and, and help people really feel good about it too. So we've been doing this like whole chain of like a business is doing their, their contribution to the restaurant. We're able to produce some meals at, at no cost, but it keeps things moving and we're donating them to, to the nurses and it's just creating all this amazing goodwill. And so, but we, we did that first, like right away to say, okay, how can we not focus on ourselves? How can we do something amazing with what we have for other people? And there's going to be value and then people will get on board. And that's something inspiring, inspirational. And that's what, that's what people need. So that just that stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about what you can do is, is just a, a crazy empowering uh, belief system. That's awesome. Yeah, I agree. Well, Hey, I think we had a great show today, gentlemen. Good job, Joe. Yeah. I think you lined up a good guest. Yeah. Yeah. I love you, man. You're great. <laughs> you guys, You're a good you guys, human being, you, Eric. You guys are doing amazing things and, and I've been holed up my basement for, for a couple of years is doing random stuff. And it's so nice to get back out and, and talk to you guys. And, and I just, you guys run a great program and the masters is amazing. So honestly, a huge honor. So thank you. guys. Really. Thank you, Eric. We appreciate last it. Thing, Joe, what's uh give him a plug for his restaurant. Go eat there folks. Give him some love. Oh yeah. So jewel restaurant. Uh, well, Eric, you give a plug. Cause you know more about, I don't know if it's vegetarian or not, but I know it's, uh, healthy yeah I, I don't want to i don't want to plug the restaurant I'll plug, i will plug something like if somebody does want like that list of stuff that I, they created from 2008 hit me up or make a comment i'll get it to you i think i want to serve people that way because i wish somebody would have given me some things to think about honestly in 2008 um, so i want to do that the, the restaurant thing is you know i did it for the business reasons which i kind of was braggadocious about to prove a point but the other reason honestly is my, my father died a couple years of diabetes type 2 diabetes which is totally preventable you know, my mom's got Crohn's disease and it's just so many metabolic diseases that are out there that you know, I look around and, and my kids, you know, are surrounded by, you know, Taco Bell and, and unhealthy choices. And, and so to, the, the reason for the business is, is to really just to do something outside of what's normal. And, and, um, and I, I just can't, I can't stress enough about when there's stress in your life that if you haven't like really done enough with your body, it's just going to wear you down. 
and, I, and I've seen you know, cancer is, in, is from inflammation, arthritis from inflammation, like there's all those inflammatory things that we just put in our body all day, every day. And we just have to, we have to switch that. We just really do. And, and, the, and the quicker you can do that, the quicker you can be a better salesman, the quicker you can be a better husband or a daughter or whatever student. And um, so that's, that's Jewel. And so it's, you know, we do everything in the house. I have a nutritionist that we put together. We do, we do a, uh, medical doctors and naturopaths and we create these ingredients then the chef makes dishes around them that serve a purpose for your body and so like under armor asked us to we feed their olympic athletes now and we're getting people directly from chemo you know coming in and we feed them you know proper once a month i'm up at the randall's children's hospital and we feed all the nurses the kids and the um parents uh food once a month and we you know help give them education about how to you know rebuild their red blood cells and things like that so i you know, that, that's what Jewel is. It's not a restaurant. It's a really cool. Like we have a little heart as our logo now because it's, it's, a, it's a love-based little place. So, And you, so. And you got the name from the, the vape pen? Is that yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, I was like, I was sitting back smoking one day. Like, shit, that's a great name. No. Uh, yeah, it's a measurement of energy. Measurement of, measurement energy, of energy. Yeah. So we called it Jewel. Eric Post, you have the most loyal following. My goodness. We've got 23 comments of a gazillion likes. Um, Justin Harnish thinks the world of you. He's saying, please duplicate yourself, Post, and he loves oh, me some Post. Oh, you, have, you have quite a following. I want to say one thing real quick, Eric, on what you're talking about. It, it's something we've never talked about on this podcast, but I do agree. You know, as realtors, our product is us. It really is. I mean, it's us. It's our service. We don't own the houses. We're just brokers. We're connecting people with houses. It's hard for me to imagine that if you're not taking care of yourself, your body, physically, we've talked about the mental component, but physically, exercising and eating right, it's hard to imagine that there's a scenario where you're going to be the best version of you in attracting people to you from a mental standpoint, your confidence, your belief in yourself. So I a thousand percent agree with that. And, um, and I've, I've experienced that throughout my life as I've, you know, made sometimes better food choices than others and through, you know, different stretches of, of life. Um, so kudos to you, your restaurant. Thank you for coming on the show. And oh my goodness, you're, uh, you're loyal. Following is everywhere here. Let's crush it. Yeah. I love that you said attraction because you take two agents and they have the same knowledge, the same marketing, but one just more attractive than the other, not, not like physical appearance, but more energetic magnetic uh, or just yeah. magnetic. They're going to win the business every single time. Yep. And, and so it's just that, just that willingness to be like, all right, how, how can I be the most magnetic, attractive person that I can possibly be? And that's your secret sauce. Yep. I hey, agree. you guys finish up the show. I'm going to do some burpees right here. Cause Let's do it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Hey, we're going to, we're going to kill live stream folks. Thanks for joining us and uh, yes. great show. And uh, we'll be back again. Okay. Whenever you all have us. <laughs> and uh, all right. See you guys. Great Thanks, show, Eric. guys. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.